Pray with me. Lord Jesus, make yourself known to us today as we open your word. Speak your words to us. In any of my words which are not yours, Lord, may they fall to the ground and blow away. But may your word remain. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this Sunday, we continue on in the series we began last Sunday on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And to begin today, I want to just share with you something that my former professor, Dr. Frank Thielman, wrote in his commentary on this book. This is what he says. Twenty centuries ago, an itinerant tent maker was tossed into prison for creating a public disturbance. There he spent considerable time dictating a letter that might have taken up dozens of sheets of stiff, scratchy paper. Today, few people would recognize the name of the Roman emperor at the time, and although Nero was a prolific author, nothing of his literary output remains. Paul's name, on the other hand, is instantly recognized by millions And existing copies of his letter to the Philippians in many languages run easily into the millions. Indeed, the time has come, as T.R. Glover observed, when people call their dogs Nero and their sons Paul. It is simply amazing the kind of impact that this man, St. Paul, has had upon the world. The Lord truly had his hand upon him, but truly... It is nothing when compared to the way in which the man named Jesus, the one whom Paul served, has turned this whole world upside down. It was Jesus, after all, who had appointed Paul as his apostle to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And how grateful are we to be reading this letter, which is the byproduct of Paul's faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. Before we turn to our passage for today, uh, the rest of chapter 1, let's just recap a little bit of what we heard last week. As we know, Paul is writing to the followers of Jesus who live in the city of Philippi. Among them are people like Lydia the merchant and her whole household. She was the first convert in that city of Philippi. Also among them, the Philippian jailer in his household and perhaps even the formerly demon-possessed slave girl. And through people like these coming to faith, Philippi becomes the first European city with a community of Christians. And now, as we read this letter, 10 years after Paul planted this church, he writes this letter to them while he himself is in prison. And specifically, we think that he's in prison in Rome, although we don't know for sure because the letter doesn't say. But in whatever city Paul was in prison, what is for sure is that there was no USPS for Paul to use at the time. And so if someone wanted to send him a letter or a package, a person would need to make the journey from wherever they were to wherever Paul was. And likewise, if Paul wanted to send a letter to someone else, someone would have to carry it for him, specifically if he was in prison. Well, what we learn in chapter 2 is that the church in Philippi had actually sent this guy named Epaphroditus to Paul in Rome to bring them a gift of financial provision and supplies while he was in prison. And on Epaphroditus' way back home, Paul gives him this letter to carry to them. In this letter, which we know as the book of Philippians, as I mentioned last week, it's just overflowing with joy and thanksgiving. 
And that is due in large part to the wonderful gift that Paul has just received from them. They were incredibly generous. And Epaphroditus, if Paul was in Rome, traveled a very long distance and would have been a very dangerous journey. But really, this church also has a very special place in Paul's heart. Indeed, I don't think it's too much to say that it was his favorite church, secretly. And because Paul loves these believers so much, and because he is so deeply touched by their faith and faithfulness to the gospel, his overarching message in this letter is that he wants them to keep living out their faith and service to Christ just as they have been doing from the first time that he met them. Well, we come to the next passage in this book. We'll look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18 today, and I want to just encourage you to turn there in your Bibles and to follow along as we go. In the passage that came immediately before our passage from last week, Paul had shared how deeply grateful he was for their partnership. And so, because the Philippians genuinely loved Paul so much and had yoked themselves to him, as we come to these next verses, verses 12 to 18, it becomes very clear they are very concerned about the fact that Paul is in prison. I mean, who wouldn't be? It would be a bit like if Bishop Keith, who planted this church, were thrown in jail in Long Beach for preaching the gospel there. I would hope we would be concerned, and more than that, I would hope that we would be moved to do something about it. Now, something you need to understand about Philippi is that it was a Roman colony at this time, and the culture of the city, specifically, was one of deep loyalty to the emperor. In fact, as you probably know, they worshipped the emperor. And so this message of the gospel, you know the fact that God is the one true God, and God's kingdom is coming, and that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of all people, that message had always been at odds with Philippian society. And so all that to say, these Philippian Christians, they were not strangers to persecution. I mean, as we discussed last week, Paul had already been locked up in prison for the gospel on his very first visit to the city 10 years ago. And so the Philippians, they're not surprised that Paul is in prison. But of course, because they love him, they're concerned for his safety and well-being. And so in our passage for today, what we see is how Paul responds to that concern. This is what he says in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So Paul says, I want you to know something, guys, that everything that's been going on with me, the suffering, the imprisonment, yada, yada, all of that has actually benefited the spread of the gospel. Again, Paul's upside-down attitude is just deeply remarkable to me. Just like last week, we see him giving thanks right out of the gate, the first words out of his mouth in that letter, despite the fact he's dictating it from prison. And here we see him saying that the terrible things which he is enduring are actually producing good things for Jesus Christ. Have you ever looked at something and thought it was one thing, but when you looked a little bit closer, it turns out it was something entirely different? Last year, my family and I were hiking out at Saguaro Lake uh, on the Butcher Jones Trail, if you've ever hiked that trail. My parents were with us, my older brother and his wife and children were with us, as well as my older sister and her daughter. 
Well, my daughter, Hannah, uh, had gotten really tired halfway through the hike. And so we just decided that her and I would sit down and let the others go ahead. And when they reached the end of the trail, they would turn back and come toward us. And then we would pick up with them as they went. After about 20 or so minutes, when we heard them coming back, I decided that we would hide in the bushes to see if we could scare one of the other kids or something, you know, like any good dad would do. And so I looked around and I saw these gnarly, low-hanging branches on the ground that we could hide behind. And eventually, when the kids led the way, as they usually do, we jumped out, we tried to scare them. Now, it didn't work very well, but it was worth a try. But when we got back onto the trail and we looked back at the patch of ground that we had been crouching in, there we saw and heard a very large rattlesnake. It wasn't just tree limbs on the ground after all. Turns out I missed something pretty important. Well, here in this letter, Paul knows that it appears as if his imprisonment is purely a problem, something to be fixed. Now, Paul says, no, there is more than meets the eye here. Paul does not want them to miss this really important thing that, as it turns out, Paul's imprisonment has actually promoted many possibilities through the providence of God. You've heard the phrase, blessing in disguise. Yeah, it's like that. I'm reminded of what God says in Isaiah chapter 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And neither are your ways my ways. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Through the inscrutable purposes of God, Paul says that God is actually using his imprisonment for good and not necessarily for Paul's own good, but for the good of others. And specifically, he says that there are two ways that him being locked up is helping others and the gospel go forward. And he lists the first way in the next verse, verse 13. He says, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You see, Nero, like all emperors, had an imperial guard. And they were called praetorians. And they were the bodyguards for the emperor and his household. So it's right for us to think of these like the secret service. Well, the largest contingent of praetorians lived near the palace in Rome. And this is part of the reason that we believe Paul is writing from Rome. Because Paul says that through his imprisonment, the entire praetorian guard now know about Paul's imprisonment due to his faith in Christ. Well, how'd they find out? Well, no doubt, Paul told them. And then they had told each other. You see, wherever he is, Paul has this thing about talking about Jesus. The more places Paul goes, and the more obscure and undesirable those places are, the greater chance he has to share the gospel with people who need to hear it for the first time. And so if Paul gets put in prison, then gosh darn it, everybody there is going to get to hear what he has to say. Who else was going to venture into a Roman prison and preach to the guards except a prisoner? Well, one other thing we need to notice here in the passage is that it wasn't just that Paul got thrown into prison that allowed the Praetorian guard to hear the gospel. You see, Paul had to open his mouth. If Paul had been like me, 
He would have been ticked off about being locked up and angry with the soldiers who held him there, and he wouldn't have bothered to share with them out of spite. But something about Christ's work in Paul allowed him to love others despite this lack of luck and luxury. And what's that something? It's that Christ was the greatest driving force in his life. The gospel was the lens through which Paul saw everything. For Paul, prison, not so bad. Why? Because the gospel's going forth. Can't you see that? I have trouble seeing that. What a peculiar way to see the world when others purely see the disguise. Paul sees what's underneath. In the next verse, verse 14, Paul lists a second way in which his imprisonment is turning out for the good of the gospel. This is what he says. And most of the brothers in Rome, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The believers in Rome, seeing how Paul has been bold to preach the gospel, so bold that he's now being locked up for his crimes against the emperor, they have been challenged to be equally courageous for the gospel. When Nero tried to shut down Paul's preaching by locking him up, turns out he exposed his entire secret service to the message of Jesus. And as soon as he thinks he's taken Paul out of commission, a bunch of new evangelists spring up. Poor Nero is playing whack-a-mole. Isn't it amazing how God uses the persecution of Christians to actually expand the kingdom of God? It's always been that way. In fact, the church father Tertullian has famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You can't stop the gospel through persecution. Paul's words for the Philippians are to help them see how much gospel good has come out of this difficult circumstance. And so they don't need to worry about him. What they need to do is keep being faithful to the gospel themselves. Well, this past week, our church secretary, Stephanie, she's been painting in the narthex. And I had her go out and purchase some paint for the job from one of the swatches that we liked. But when she came back with the bucket of paint, the paint color was not the same as the sample. Instead, she put it on the wall, and it looked incredibly peachy. I hated it. So did she. Well, so far, everything Paul has said in this letter seems pretty peachy, too. But at this point in the letter, Paul begins to mention a downside. While Paul's been locked away, Turns out, there have been some bad behavior among the Roman Christians who sprang up as evangelists. And this is what Paul talks about in the next few verses. This is what he says beginning in verse 15. Some of these brothers indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others do it from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here in prison for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me while I'm in my imprisonment. So, sounds like with Paul out of the picture, some of these newly emboldened brothers have taken up where Paul left off. And they've started preaching the gospel throughout the city as a way of enriching themselves and advancing their own interests. He says they preach Christ 
from envy and rivalry. Then he gets more specific in verse 17, saying that these bad apples are actually hoping to do damage to Paul while he's there in prison. How so? Let's just think about it for a minute. Paul has been preaching, and he has no doubt drummed up a following. Now that he's in lockdown, these guys would like to take Paul's corner on the market. They would like to steal his sheep. They would like to acquire the offerings that he might have received. They would surely like to wield the influence that he had. And they don't realize that none of those things were why Paul himself has been preaching. Paul has been preaching Christ for Christ. These guys preach Christ for themselves. This kind of thing, it's not uncommon in the world and in the church today. Some churches and pastors operate as if there is a competition for airtime, a competition for influence, a competition for financial resources. And everything that is done in places like this is an attempt to build a following and a legacy and a pile of assets, not for Jesus, but for themselves. And although it's done in Jesus' name, this way of preaching and leading, it's contrary to Jesus' very way of life. Jesus never acted out of envy. He never acted out of rivalry. He did nothing out of selfish ambition. And so if he is the one we are actually imitating, then neither will we. Our motivations for living out our faith should never be for the sake of ourselves, but for Christ. And for others, I think it's important for us to regularly evaluate our own motivations and to be sure that Christ truly is, like Paul, the driving force in our lives and not just the thing we use to disguise our own ambition. This applies to everything we do how we treat our families, how we do our jobs, and yes, how we post on social media. Thankfully, Paul makes it clear that while there are some cracked eggs in this dozen, that they're not all that way. The other brothers who've begun to preach boldly, they, like Paul, are preaching for Christ's sake. And at this point, now that Paul has drawn a sharp distinction between these two kinds of Christians, those who preach from envy and rivalry and those who preach out of goodwill, I would think that Paul would say something like, now make sure you're like the latter and not like the former, or I pray that the Lord will expose these selfish Christians for the frauds that they are. But he doesn't. Paul ends this passage with another surprising turn, and this is what he says in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Essentially, Paul says, what of it? What Of it. So long as the gospel is being preached, I am not going to worry about their motives. God takes care of that. Instead, I rejoice because Jesus' name is on the lips of and in the ears of so many more people than it would have been otherwise. Over and over again in this letter, I, I just find myself being mystified by Paul's unrelenting optimism. He keeps finding a way to see things through God's eyes. Now, certainly there are other instances, of course, in Paul's letters where he attacks false teachers and heretics. 
In fact, we see him do that later in this book in chapter 3. But here, it seems that the message, since the message of the gospel is not being tampered with, but only the motivation for preaching that message, Paul decides to just celebrate the fact that the gospel is going out and Jesus' name is being heard. This morning, I want to just draw out two very simple implications for us from this passage. And here's the first. In our lives, we need to be looking for the ways that God is using difficult circumstances to bring about the spread of the gospel. We need to be looking for the ways that God is using difficult circumstances, ours and others, to bring about the spread of the gospel. You see, Paul was able to understand that through his imprisonment, Jesus was getting more glory. And the message of salvation was on the move more than it was before. What about us? Are we able to see things in that way? This season during the coronavirus outbreak has undoubtedly made our lives more difficult in various ways. And the life and ministry at Living Faith, it's really no different. There are things that are not ideal. There are things we all wish were different. And yet, because of this very outbreak, there are new opportunities. For example, we have had to, we didn't have a choice really, to stream our worship service is online. And in putting our worship services online, we've been able to sing with and to pray with and to preach to and to fellowship with many new people who would have not chosen or would have otherwise not been able to join us. And we're just one small church. Just one small church. This is happening all over the country and all over the world. At the same time, people all around the world are more desperate for the message of hope and redemption than they were before March. The Internet Evangelism Organization Global Media Outreach, they report that between mid-March and late March, two-week period, that they saw a 170% increase in clicks on ads about finding hope. Likewise, a study out of the University of Copenhagen said that internet searches related to prayer in 75 countries have skyrocketed to their highest levels in five years. What might God be doing in these days? While there have been major setbacks for the church, while not everything is peachy about how the gospel is being presented, what we know in this moment is that the gospel is being made more accessible to many people at the same time that they are more hungry for it. And with Paul, I would say, let us rejoice about that. Let us rejoice. The second implication that I'd like to share with you is that when we see those gospel opportunities, we need to join God in the work. We need to join God in the work. See, Paul was able to see the blessings in disguise, but that's not where it stopped for him. He took action. He used the opportunity to preach to the Praetorian Guard, and who knows if one or many came to faith in Christ. So likewise, when, when we are looking around and we're trying to get a glimpse of what God is doing in our circumstances, we must then make the choice 
to join him in that same way. When we see an opportunity, we must take a risk. Now at this time, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you a question, and then I want you to pause this video. And I want you to discuss that question with those with you this morning for about three minutes. So here's the question. What is one way that you've been able to be missional with people more easily during this season than you were before? What is one way you've been able to be more missional with people about the gospel during this season than you were before? If no examples come to your mind, I want you to use that time to consider how God might help you to spread the gospel uniquely in a time like this. So pause the video and just take a few minutes to reflect. If you'd like to share what you discussed with me, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how you're able to be more missional or perhaps an idea that you might like to share with others how they can participate in sharing the gospel. Please just shoot me an email, peter at livingfaithanglican.org. I'd love to hear from you. In closing, I wanted to say that I think we should all agree, I doubt there's a lot of disagreement, that there is an upside-down, paradoxical way that God works sometimes, which means that sometimes there is more than meets the human eye. What is God doing in days like these? My brothers and sisters, I, I want to encourage us let us become the kind of people who cultivate in ourselves and in one another a way of looking for what God might be doing for his purposes in the midst of the hardship around us and then join him in that. Amen? Amen.